0: I took a little, oh my gosh, there's so much love, so much love in this room. I took a little break from preaching in the month of April, and I'm back. I'm back. I'm excited. You know, God is building his church, and I believe that he's given me a word to share that really would encourage us this morning. And I'm so happy to see many of you. How many of you were at last week's unveil service? Let me see you. Oh, my gosh. Wasn't it incredible? We had a milestone happen in our church last week, and that was that five people decided to get baptized. Come on it up for Jesus. You know, that's a huge, huge thing because it's one thing to have Jesus touch our hearts in a way that moves our insides, but then to say, hey, I'm going to stand up and before the church, I'm going to let you dunk me in water as a public confession that I love Jesus. That's huge. And it marked those people's lives forever. Right, Solomon? Amen. Solomon was one of those who got baptized. So we're so we're so glad. And unveil was just a beautiful time for us to be together. If you weren't there, that's okay. We are unveiling some new things in the summer season of Kalos Church. And what I've heard about uh, summer in Washington is that summer in Washington, people live for their summers in Washington, right? So this is our second summer in Washington. And oh my gosh, it's beautiful. And I just want to be outside all the time. And it's just amazing. And So we as a church are going to embrace this summer. We're going to have small groups. We're going to have parties. We're having a kickoff party here in just a couple weeks. We're going to have, we're going to grill. We're just going to have some fun. Can we just chill out for a second and have some fun this summer? I'm so pumped about that. And so we unveiled small groups and uh, just baptisms and all the things that God is doing that we feel like he's doing. Did you know that God has a fresh presence, a fresh breath over us? And uh, I, I felt that last Sunday evening in our time together. And uh, like I said, if you weren't there, you can jump on our website. We've got more information for you about small groups and many awesome things that are happening at this church. And this week, I want to continue our series on the art of neighboring, the art of neighboring. And last week, Pastor Prettypen, so masterfully, really, I don't know if you felt convicted, but I just felt so deeply convicted in my heart about knowing my neighbors this video says we're not just called by god to live by our neighbors we're called to love our neighbors and i want to put this this picture on the screen of the houses do we have that there we go okay so this is you okay you are here, okay? This is your house or your apartment complex or whatever. And all of these people live around you, and we are called by God to know and love our neighbors. And last week, Pastor Pretty even asked us, I won't, I won't make you raise your hand, but I want you to think in your mind, how many of you know the people, the individuals, the families that live in any of these houses around you? Man, I was sitting in my seat, and I was like, I got like three maybe, maybe maybe-ish, and I was so convicted by this because I was like, oh man, it's amazing how little we know the people that are in close proximity to us right? And I want to challenge us today, and we're going to talk about some of the obstacles that we're facing uh, in our society uh, from loving our neighbors, not just living by our neighbors, but loving our neighbors. But I also want to celebrate something that's happening at this church. We're going to talk today a little bit about racism. We're going to talk about violence. We're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about fear Okay, And uh, we're going to really talk about what's keeping us distant from each other. But I want to say this, first of all, I want to celebrate this church. I want to celebrate the community that's here. Because, oh my word, there are in this audience right now, there are just, just such a diversity of people. I think that I have felt some of the most real belonging and acceptance in this church than maybe I ever have in my life at any church. And so I want to throw up this picture right here. Look at these girls. You see them? Can you see these girls? This this picture by no means uh, includes every woman in our church, but this is a picture of one of our small groups that we had this last, uh, this last season. We're launching new small groups. And I was looking at this picture and I was like, Oh, my gosh, there are black people, Asian people, Indian people, white people. I mean, come on. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? Man, you know, we as a church, we haven't completely, uh, we're not perfect in, in, in everything and accepting and loving people. But I'm telling you, this picture right here represents, I think, a good way to measure some of the health of your church. If God's hand, God's hand being on your church is this right here. Right? Is diversity, is people coming together. And one thing that we have in common, if there's nothing else we have in common, is that we love Jesus. Even if we don't totally understand who he is, yet we love him. And that's the way church should be. Amen? Awesome. Well, I'm so, so excited. I was just looking at that picture. I was like, man, God, thank you. I don't want to take for granted this moment. This moment with these people right here. Here, there's some beautiful art of neighboring that's happening. There really is. And so as we walk away today, I want you to remember, even if we're challenged and even if we're convicted, this, though, is happening. We are making known the beauty of Jesus among each other. Amen? Awesome. Well, listen. I, um, we were driving home last week, Pastor Pradeepin, uh, kind of unpacked for you a situation that we have with our neighbors to the right of us, okay? So I just want to tell you a little bit more of that, um, because last week he preaches this message on neighboring and then something really crazy happens on the way home from church, okay? So our neighbors right beside us, a year and a half, let me just back this up for a second, a year and a half ago, we drive up to Bellevue for the very first time, moved here, from Michigan. We drive up to Bellevue, and we're like, oh, we're on our street, right? And right um, as we're coming up on our street, we're like, oh my gosh, there's this beautiful, like, mansion of a house on our street, okay? It's gorgeous. And as we get closer and closer, we're like, oh my gosh, is that the house that we're renting? We're like, it's just so beautiful. I mean, there's a fountain outside, people, and birds are chirping, and it's beautiful. And so I'm like, but then we go there, and I'm like, honey, oh my gosh, I'm getting so excited. And then sure enough, we drive to this house, and we're like, wait, that's not the right house number. We're at 122. So we look over to the left. what there's our house, okay? Our house is, although wonderful, is not as beautiful at this, as this mansion next to us. And not only that, our house at the time, there was literally, it, was, it had been, like, recently renovated. So there was a kitchen sink sitting in the lawn, right, Rachel, of our houses. We were like, where did we just move to? Okay, we want that house. We want to live in that house over there. So anyway, so we are driving home from church last week. And um, the two things that we've known about these neighbors are are two very out of context things. And this is all we've ever known. This whole last year of living in our house, this is what we've known about the mansion next to us. I'm just calling it a mansion. I don't know what else to call it because it's just gorgeous. Okay, gorgeous. And um, there's a giant fence that that splits us. And I and the two things that we've known is one, an ambulance periodically comes and was coming this last year to this house pretty consistently we were like why is there ambulances at this house you know we're like peeking and we're like oh my gosh what's happening you know like did somebody die what happened in here you know and like for some reason people keep dying cuz the ambulance keeps coming like what's happening at this house and the second thing that we've known about this house pretty been talked about last week is that they power wash every Saturday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., and I mean, I have a two-year-old. I have a two-year-old, and if you're going to power wash all day, and you're going to wreck his nap, you have to take care of him, because I'm not going to take care of this child who's not getting a nap, and they would power wash and power wash, and we're just like, oh gosh, you know, but we never, like, we never grumbled, you know, we just secretly talked about, like, oh, you know, these people and their Power watching. So, okay. We're driving home from church last Sunday. We are pulling up to our house and we see at the mansion that there is a for sale sign and an open house. This was our chance. So we actually parked our car, ran over to the neighbors. Rachel and Andrew came with us. And we run over to the neighbors and we're like, this is our chance to see what's going on in this mysterious mansion of a house. And so we go in and you guys listen to this. 13 bedrooms, 13 bathrooms and three full-size kitchens on each level of this house. Can we give it up for the mansion? I mean, I mean, and listen, there's a whole, like, back patio, and so now I'm like, oh, now I understand why there was so much power washing happening, because this patio is immaculate. It's gorgeous. And so we're, me and Pretty Finn and Ovi, we're just running up and down these stairs. We're just like, oh my gosh, look at this room. Look at this room. I mean, can you, can you imagine living here in this house? Oh, I would want this kitchen. I mean, it was just crazy. And so we go downstairs and the realtor is down there. And we say to the realtor, we're like, what is this place? And she says, for the last 15 years, this house has been a nursing facility for the elderly in our community. And we were like, what? And she said, the owners of this house, the people who built this house had a vision and a dream to take care of the elderly. And I was like, I mean, compassion just rose in. I was like, wait a minute. And this was no, like where I'm from, like nursing facilities feel like hospitals. Okay, but somebody took the time to have a dream to put the elderly in a beautiful home in a regular neighborhood and treat these elderly people with some dignity. Right. And so I'm like, oh, my gosh, we judged our misperception. We we missed it. I didn't I didn't know. I'm like, power wash all you want, people. Do whatever you got to do. This is beautiful. What a beautiful thing you've been doing for 15 years. That's incredible. And isn't that how it is sometimes? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand for this either, uh, have really misjudged and misperceived someone that you really didn't know? You didn't know this. He's raising his hand. He's like, I'm convicted. I mean, you know, Jesus forgives you. And I tell you what, I'm like, I realize that this is happening on like a micro level, just around the people in our neighborhood, the people that we know, and it's happening on a pretty macro level as well in our nation. And uh, I'm just deeply, deeply moved by our neighbors and what they did. And I felt, I felt called out on some of my judgment for them. And I think that that's the reality of what we're facing in our nation. What's keeping us from truly neighboring is fear of the unknown. We're fearful of people because we don't know who they are, right? We don't know them, and we don't want to get to know them because we kind of have a lack of interest or we're fearful. And fear, I think, creates misperception. You know, we drive home. We drive into our uh, our driveways. We get out of the car. We run into our house. We shut the door. We lock the door, and we're happy, Right? And we listen to the news, the stations that are agreeing with our view of things, right? And I'm sitting at home, and I'm reading articles and blogs of people who are like me, people who agree with who I, what I think about things. And I'm not really that interested or taking the time to consider that the people that are doing something very different, like taking care of the elderly right next to my home, right? And, and I think that fear and that misperception, that distance is causing such isolation. We are a nation that is perpetuating isolation. And we have to be careful. And so I want to say this, the banner I want us to function under today, and that is this. Distance creates distortion, but community creates compassion. When we are distant from people, we don't really know them. We're stepping away from each other. It distorts our view. We had an inaccurate view of each other. And I want us to look in the scriptures today because Jesus, let me just say this, Jesus is the way that we as a nation are going to overcome this. And it's going to take Jesus working through us. And so I want us to look at Luke chapter 7, verse 36, this really incredible story in the Bible that really touches my heart. And I'm going to start in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Let's read this together. he said to himself, if this man, Jesus, if this, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is. She is the kind that is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owned money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, Well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this story because I love what Jesus did in the midst of something that needed to stop in its tracks, right? So here is this group of religious people, and this woman who is a sinner, who is kind of a mess, who technically doesn't belong there, comes in with a year's worth of wages to buy this perfume that she's going to come and love Jesus with. And she kneels down. She walks into this room. She kneels down, and she's weeping, and she's crying. She's washing Jesus' tears with her, or his feet with her tears, and he's, she's washing his feet with her hair. She's doing this most beautiful thing, really a moment in the Scriptures that is so profound. And at the same time that this is happening, the Pharisees are like, uh, this is awkward. The tension is rising because they're like, she's not supposed to be here. She is not supposed to be here because they had some labels on this woman. They had some misperceptions of who this woman was. Society told them how to think about a woman like her. Sound familiar? And they could only see. They were so confident in their judgment. They were so confident in who they knew this woman to be, a sinner. But Jesus says to Simon, hey, do you see this woman? Do you see what's really happening here? Because they weren't really seeing. They were only seeing what they wanted to see. But Jesus was saying, I want you to see something very different. Something very, very different. And isn't this how we are? We're so confident in our judgments of people and our misperceptions. our Distance creates distortion. They didn't know who this woman was. They only knew who she was, like, kind of about. In fact, the scripture actually says, if, if the prophet would knew what kind of woman this was, a kind of person, they judged. And we do, too. You know, I think that we're dealing with this on some real systemic issues. Can I be real for a second? I believe that our fear of the unknown, our fear of each other. At the end of the day, I'm looking at racism. I'm praying about this. I'm like, racism, bottom line, is the fear of the unknown. We don't know people, so we're afraid of them. We keep taking more and more steps back from people, thinking we know the truth like Simon thought of this woman You know, we're a city in Bellevue that is called, Pastor Prief and I were so excited to move to Bellevue because, you know, this city is called a majority-minority city. And we were like, oh my gosh, that's so exciting. And I, listen, when we think about labels and stereotypes, I am a brown woman who grew up in Kansas and come from an Amish family. I know what it's like to be stereotyped, okay? I'll never forget this. I know. I'll never forget this guy one time. I was on the phone with this guy. I, you know, I don't know, it was for something. It was like for like uh, like fixing my computer or something. And I had to go in and I was like, bla, 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 we're talking about this. And I go in and this guy says, Whoa, I wasn't expecting you to, like, look like that. I was like, what were you expecting? You know, because I, I sound like Kansas. I, sa- I am all Kansas on the inside, okay? And so I know about these stereotypes. But we live in a minority, ma- ma- majority, minority city. Try saying that five times. It's hard. But all that to say we have immigrants who live in the houses next to us. And I think that we struggle sometimes to judge people, to label them, to put them in their place. We have our political ideas of what should happen with immigration in our nation. And it's keeping us from understanding and really seeing who a true person is. We're struggling. You know, Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what I would want. I would want to be loved and really known for who I am. And I was thinking about the violence a couple weeks ago, another huge school shooting, and I'm like, man, the more violence that is happening, the more we're scared, the more we have misperceptions, the more we're isolating because we're backing up. Have you ever just been real ticked at someone on Facebook and you're like, I hate that guy, but you've never actually met that guy? Okay, I'm like, we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful of the labels and the lenses in which we see people through. I love this quote by Carl Lentz. It says this, proximity creates passion, distance creates distortion. Whatever you're close to, you will be passionate about. Whatever you're far from, you will not care about. That's why many pastors start out passionate about the lost, and then over the years, it becomes professional. It becomes corporate You start to miss the culture. I want my hands to be as dirty as they can be. There is something about making sure you feel humanity again. Isn't that a beautiful quote? I love that. I love that. And Jesus is speaking to us in this scripture with the woman who walks in as a mess with an alabaster jar and does the most beautiful thing. And the whole time she's being judged. The whole time she's being judged. And uh, so this is what I want to pull out. Point number one today is this. Sometimes what we see is bad, Jesus sees as good, right? And I was thinking about this funny example because, listen, when I met Pastor Fred Eepen over like six years ago, probably seven, what, no, I met you a long time ago, 11 years ago. <laughs> We've been married for six. Okay. So I met him 11 years ago, you know, and when I first saw him, I thought he was real cute. I thought he was cute, but I didn't really know him very well. And so he and his friends invited me to go hang out with them at B dubs, and they proceeded to sit there and spit spitballs at me. And I was like, this guy is so immature. He's so immature. And if I would have stopped with he's so immature, and if I wouldn't have let Jesus show me that he sees good when I see bad. I wouldn't have a two-year-old today. But he's good. Can we get him up for Pastor Pradeepin? Jesus saw you, baby. Okay, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Jesus knew exactly who this woman was. In verse 44, he says this. You did not give me any water. He's talking to the Pharisees. For my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Jesus vouched for this woman's dignity. The whole time he kept saying, hey, you didn't do this, but did you see what she did? She did this. She did this. This is the kind of person that you are judging, misjudging. This woman has done a beautiful thing. There's something inside of her that would walk in here and love me and honor me the way that she did. You're missing it. Jesus saw good in her when everybody saw bad. Right? And we judge people by their color. We judge them by where they're from. We judge them by the neighborhoods that we come from. And we, especially as the church, we've got to confront these misperceptions. And we've got to say, is Is my perception of what's happening with my neighbors or my friend or my friend's friend, is that accurate? Most likely it's not. Jesus confronted this. And on Monday, I want to tell this story really quick. On Monday, our lead team for the church, we were together, and we usually have a meeting every Monday evening together and we canceled our meeting. We decided we just needed to rest. We had unveiled, and we had church that day. It was a lot of church on Sunday. So Monday, we decided to take a break, and we decided to go eat together, and we walked out. We were in Kirkland, and we walk out to the docks where the water and all the boats are, and we're just sitting there. We're laughing. We're having a really good time, and this guy, really tall, tall person. Most people are tall to me. This is an extra tall person, and (laughs) We were, we're sitting there and this guy is on his phone and he's got his fishing gear and he's walking down the dock and he's, he's just talking really kind of loud and he's cussing and swearing and just kind of being a little bit obnoxious. We didn't really care. We were just doing our own thing. And he gets off the phone and he gets our attention. He says, Hey, you guys, listen, I just want you to know I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being obnoxious and blah, blah, blah. We're like, listen, you're okay. And he goes on to say, he goes on to say, he's like, I'm going through a real hard time right now. And he said, my sister is one month pregnant with, her, with a baby, and my brother-in-law just got diagnosed with terminal cancer. And immediately I thought, this is why we canceled Lead Team tonight. Because we could sit and plan for a church, but what if we, ended, what if we just prayed for this guy instead? And so pretty even said, hey, could we pray for you? And he goes, "And this guy may not have been a believer, I don't know, but he says, listen, I'll take whatever I can get if you want to pray. So we surrounded this guy. We weren't weird about it, but we just prayed for him and we prayed for his situation. And what we could have seen as obnoxious or inconvenient or annoying, we could have seen all the bad, but Jesus saw the good. There was an opportunity there to not misjudge that guy who is so deeply hurting right now, right? Number two, point number two, people are hard to hate up close. People are hard to hate up close. And I want to bring Josiah up here. Josiah Anthony, give it up for this guy right here. Incredible guy. Josiah was telling me this week about this story. Hey, buddy. Hey. How you doing? How's going? Good. Good. <laughs> um, Josiah was telling me this story this week, and I was like, oh my gosh, Josiah, you have to tell that story at church, uh, because I'm talking about how distance creates distortion, but community creates compassion. So will you share this story with us? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So um, I grew up a pastor's kid my whole life, um, and my dad loved, like, this community-style church, right? We have small groups every Sunday. We, like, reach out to our neighbors. So we had moved into a new neighborhood. Excuse me, um, we had moved into a new neighborhood, and um we're meeting our neighbors, some of them go to our church you know we we got cookies brought to us and food, and we're invited in for like dinners and stuff like that and so we're um, really welcomed into this neighborhood and through conversations with our neighbors, we found out that one of our neighbors was actually on the list um, as a sexual predator and so his family was kind of outcast, and no one really invited them over. No one really tried to connect with him um, or with that family. And he had two little daughters and his wife and everything. And so he would kind of was this outcast in the neighborhood. <coughs> I have something in my throat. Oh, I um, know how
0: that feels. It's okay. Oh.
1: And so what happened is um, my dad saw this, and our family saw this. And we had, I had younger siblings that are about the same age as his daughters were. And so we reached out to them um, and invited them over for cookouts. Um, My younger siblings just invited over his daughters to come and play with them. Um, He just really reached out, and we tried to create this community of love and compassion around this family. Um, And throughout the years of us living in that neighborhood, we saw this change happen with them. Thank you so much.
0: Come on, give it it up for Moses.
1: Moses, everybody.
0: Moses is a preacher. He knows. Sometimes you just need some water in that dry throat. Go ahead. You just drink.
1: So um, over the years, we, um, yeah, just created this community of love and compassion around this family. Um, and it wasn't like they started coming to church. It's not like they all gave their lives to Christ or anything like this. We didn't see this giant transformation, but our, neighbor, our neighborhood started accepting these people and started building this community love and compassion and rather than identifying this family for mistakes that had been made or their past they we started identifying with um the love that we can share with them and Christ's love right the way that we're supposed to love people love our neighbors as we love god so come on
0: give it up for josiah that story (laughs) that story gets me every time did i interrupt you Not at all. Okay, good. Thank you for sharing that story. I love this story because isn't that so true? If I knew, if I saw someone on the list that lived in my neighborhood, what is my tendency going to be? Just the same tendency that the Pharisees had to the woman who was a sinner. That same tendency. And I want, to read this, um, I want to read this quote to you that just really sums up. I love what Josiah said. I love what his family said because what happened is community creates compassion. What if we actually got to know the guy who's been labeled as the sexual predator? What if we actually decided that he's still a human being? There's still humanity to love. I also am a sinner and have made mistakes right? And uh, I want to read this quote by Brene Brown. Any Brene Brown fans out there? Yeah? Okay. So look at this quote by Brene Brown. It says this, not enough of us know how to sit in the pain with others. Worse, our discomfort shows up in ways that can hurt people and reinforce their own isolation. I have started to believe that crying with strangers in person could save the world. What empathy, what compassion, People are hard to hate up close. They, when, we, when we get up close to people, the labels come off and the compassion rises. What I've noticed when I've worked with the poor in third world countries is when I go there, I, I, don't, I don't often just break down because I'm sad about their poverty. I break down because I realize my own poverty. My own, I, I, see, I, I see them as equals. I see, I see humanity I see that brokenness. I felt brokenness in my life as well. And that place of compassion truly, I feel like, is where we can begin to make a difference in our neighboring. My third point is this today. You might be the only Jesus follower your neighbor has ever talked to or ever talks to. You, the one who has been forgiven, the one who lives with hope, the one who has experienced God in a real way in your life, you might be the only Jesus follower that they ever know. Have you ever met someone who who just really has a misperception and judgment about Christians and about Christianity? And you're like, wait wait, 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 no, wait a minute, that's not who we are. That's not who Jesus is. Wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a misconception. There's a label that you put on all of us and all of church. I'm telling you, we're, we're following a Jesus that believes in loving our neighbor, not just living next to them. We can help others break down the perception of Christians. Not only does meeting our neighbors help us overcome our fear of others, good neighboring helps others break down their fear of Christians. And this quote by our very own pastor, Pradeep, and I love this. When people can see us following Jesus up close, maybe they'll start to follow him too. Maybe they will. Another quote by Brene Brown that I love so much. Actually, hold it. Don't put that quote up yet. That's good. That's the right quote to be up right now. Okay. Amen. Amen. (laughs) You would say amen to that quote right there. You know, I just I want you to get the heart of this message. I want you to get the heart of what Jesus is saying. I want us to believe that a small church plant in Bellevue, Michigan could help change, <laughs> in Michigan, Bellevue, Washington. We are in Washington, Washington, Amrita. In Bellevue, Washington could really impact a neighborhood. Our neighborhoods could really impact our cities. We could help change some of the societal issues that we're facing, we must confront the obstacles that are in our way. I want to end with this story today. Um, There was a friend that I have in Michigan, okay, I meant to say Michigan, and I love this friend because she lived in a city called Dearborn, Michigan, and Dearborn, Michigan has one of the largest and highest percentages of Muslim people in our nation, In fact, we would love to go to Dearborn because we would love to go eat, uh, we'd love to go eat Arabic food, and like all the signs were in Arabic, and it it felt like you were in another country. I loved it. And we would go, and we would eat there, and you would see so many Arabic families and Muslim families, and, and it was just so fun. And my friend who lived near Dearborn, she was at a grocery store one day, and she sat down next to a woman who was wearing a hijab. And she was fully covered from head to toe. All you could see were her eyes. And all, all you could see was just, just, this, just this really regular, beautiful Muslim woman in this hijab. And she sat down next to her. And she just started talking to her and making up a conversation. And um, my friend said to her, listen, I am throwing a Christmas party for women in our neighborhood. Would you like to come to my house and join us for this Christmas party? and this woman was so caught off guard and she was like I'm sorry I don't I don't understand like are you inviting me to your house and she said well yes and this woman said nobody ever considers to approach me and actually talk to me let alone invite me to their house she said i have lived in the united states for 20 years and i have never been invited to an american person's home never once I can't believe you're inviting me to your house. Can you imagine living in another country that is not your own? For 20 years you've made your home, you've raised your children, but you've never been in a native person's home. This story gripped me. It gripped me because our perceptions have to be confronted. And I love that my friend sat down next to a woman with a a hijab on and started talking to her like a regular person. Like a woman who is beautiful, has value. There's another quote I want to read by Brene Brown. It says this, when we reduce Muslim people to terrorists, or Mexicans to illegals, or police officers to pigs, it says nothing about the people we're attacking. It does, however, say volumes about who we are and the degree to which we're operating in our integrity. Distance creates distortion. But community creates compassion. You might be, you might be the only Jesus follower that your neighbor has ever met or will meet. Let's help people see. Let's be true neighbors who don't just live by each other but love one another. I want to challenge you today just a real easy. It's not that easy. But it's just this challenge. Would you go meet one of your neighbors this week? My challenge was going to be, go meet the neighbor that you're dreading to meet. Because most likely you've got some ideas and some labels and some misconceptions about who they really are. Would you go meet them? Would you go meet them? I'm so inspired by Joy and Nathan Arona. There you are right here. They took the challenge even last week. They've got some friends in their neighborhood and they're having dinner with them tonight. Come on. That's not just living by your neighbors, but that's loving them. So I wanna challenge you, would you meet your neighbor? Would you believe, would you believe that what Jesus said and who he was and who he's calling us to be to the world could change the hate, could change the prejudice, could change the racism? Man, if we would take off our misperceptions, if we would stop being so fearful and distant from people and isolation, I'm telling you, violence will change we will begin to see and love humanity again. So I want to challenge you. Would you love your neighbor? I want you to just close your eyes for a minute. I want you to think about the neighborhood that you live in right now. You can think even beyond the houses just right around you. I want you to think about those houses. I want you to think about what you've seen. I want, to th- I want you to think about maybe how you judged or misperceived your neighbor, or even just, maybe they're not your neighbor, but they're your co-workers. If you're willing to take this challenge with me, to meet a neighbor, I just want you to slip up your hand really quick, and you can put it right back down. If you're willing to take the challenge to meet your neighbor, and I want to pray for you, because it's going to take us getting out of our comfort zones, not being inconvenienced, it's going to take us confronting our misperceptions, and it's going to take some prayer. So I'm going to pray for you. So let's close our eyes, and let's just spend some moments with God, asking him to help us. Envision a society that's being touched and moved by the love of people and humanity and true art of neighboring. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the one that we look to for how we should treat one another. God, thank you that what's been distorted in our eyes, God, can become accurate. And as we begin to listen to each other's stories and treat each other the way we would want to be treated, God, compassion would rise up in us. Lord, we commit those people that raise their hands. I pray that you would give them great boldness. Give them an opportunity this week to see and to know their neighbor. And even if they're awkward, even if it's really weird, even if their neighbors just think that they're crazy Christians, Lord, I pray that something beautiful would happen in those interactions this week. Father, we love you and we thank you. Thank you that you have so loved us. We will love others the way you loved us, Father. In Jesus' name, And I just want to give you an opportunity this morning. I I don't want to pretend that everyone in this room knows Jesus or lives a life with God. But I want to give you an opportunity today to know him. I hope that today I've described Jesus that, that you feel like you could get on board with that you feel like you could accept into your life? Did you know that he's forgiven your sins and the weight and the moments of hopelessness in your life? Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you could have true life. And so we're gonna pray here in just a minute. We're gonna bow our heads. And I'm just gonna ask you with every eye closed to just slip up your hand if you want to accept Jesus into your life today. Oh, we're going to pray together. So let's close our eyes again. Everybody in this room. Nobody is watching. And if you have never stepped foot in a church before, hey, we love you. If you've been here a hundred times and you need to recommit your life to Jesus, hey, we love you. Jesus sees you. He sees you in your darkness. He sees you in your struggle. He sees you. So I'm just going to count to three. And I just want you to slip up your hand. Only me, only my eyes are going to see this. If you want to accept Jesus as a real part of your life, just slip up your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Hands up everywhere. Hands up everywhere. Thank you, Lord. I just want to give you a moment. Jesus is good, and he sees that hand, and he cares for you so deeply. You can open your eyes, and we're going to say a prayer that, that is a life-changing prayer and it's not a magic spell and life won't seem totally different but you can know by faith that Jesus loves you and you can live a life with him. So all together we're going to pray this prayer as it goes on the screen. We're going to do it at the same time. We're all going to pray it together and if, if this is your first time to pray this prayer, congratulations. You're incredible, incredibly brave. So let's read this together. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's give it up for the four people that raised their hand. Come on, let me hear you.